Larry Bird's not walking through that door. We're talking about practice. Not a game, not a game, not a game. We're talking about practice. It's my team. It's my quarterback. A kick. It is. Good. 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 To be the man, you gotta beat the man. The 2 1. Swung line drive left field. One run is in. Here's Kevin Green. This is the Powers on Sports Podcast. All right, welcome back to the Powers on Sports Podcast. Appreciate you joining us. Remember, you can find us on all the major podcast platforms, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify. And we are very welcomed and very blessed to have a very cool guest today, a friend of mine from Ocala, Florida, one Tom James. Tom is the is a ESPN broadcaster. He's a former uh, sports director of NBC down in Fort Myers. He's got a lot of experience. He's called a lot of stuff for uh, Wide World of Sports at Disney. He's currently the also the director of networking for the Ocala Marion County Chamber and Economic Partnership. There you go. You can't see this on the screen, folks, but he's showing his CEP coffee cup. Welcome to the podcast, Tom. Finally got you on. Hey, pal. Great to be here, my friend. Always. Uh, you do a great job. I, I listen uh, just about every chance I get and uh, very informative, first class, uh, high level stuff. So thank you for having me. I'm honored. Awesome, man. And also want to mention that Tom is a rarity in the world of broadcasting. He's a two-time Edward R. Murrow Award winner as a broadcaster. So major congrats on that, man. Well, thank you. Uh, slow years, apparently, uh, with the years I won those, but uh, <laughs> uh, pretty exciting stuff. Uh, so I appreciate that. Yeah, we're going to talk. Okay, so we're going to talk today, Tom. We're going to talk some college football playoffs. We're going to talk. Tom is the play-by-play voice for Florida Gulf Coast. So we're going to talk some college hoops. We're going to talk Tom's career a little bit. And so we're just going to have a good fun time. So first of all, you got your Christmas shopping done? 80%. There you go. 80%, which is um, way ahead of schedule. So uh, so just a couple more things I need to, you know, some Visa gift cards for some people. Maybe that's there you all go. I got so. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm on the other spectrum. I'm like 20% done. Okay. I got to get moving this weekend. You got time. That's right. Still got a little time. We got about work it in between the college football uh, conference championships, a little college hoop. Work it in there, you know. That's right. That's right. Hey, before we get into college football, I want to ask you something. Tell the audience about Ocala and its love for horses and horse racing. And that's such a people don't think of horse racing in Ocala, but if you don't live in Florida, but talk to talk to the to the audience about what a spectacular area Ocala is for raising horses and just the the thoroughbred industry. I would be glad to, and thank you for asking. Uh, Ocala, Florida is frankly the horse capital of the world, hashtag H-C-O-T-W, um, and that is trademarked, uh, and that is based in entirely in fact. Uh, we have more total number of horses in Ocala, Marion County, the Ocala Metro, than any other place uh, on the globe. We also have the most number of breeds, a uh, variety of breeds of horses 
here in the Ocala Metro and in Marion County than we than are there are anywhere else in any community, again, on the planet. So, uh, so many, uh, you know, so many horses here, uh, many, many farms. Uh, we've had derby winners. Uh, American Pharaoh was trained uh, here in Ocala. Uh, so uh, all the way back to uh, Affirmed, uh, the Triple Crown winner in 1978. So the last two trained here, Affirmed was, uh, was bred here. So uh, it is definitely horse country, my friend. And there's a lot of, and there's a lot of, and people wouldn't realize there's a lot of famous people that have property in Ocala that are involved in the horse racing industry. A lot of entertainers and a lot of people we would, we would all recognize that you probably could tell us, you know, you don't need to tell us anybody, but I know there's a lot of famous people that have property in and around Ocala. Well, I will tell you one, and that's uh, maybe people know this, John Travolta yes. uh, and his late wife, Kelly Preston, that lived here now for probably almost 20 years, not in the horse industry, but uh, they're in the the, uh, they live in a, an airline, an airplane community, so they everybody has a, a runway instead of a driveway there. So, <laughs> so uh, John Travolta, you see him around all the time. That's awesome, man. That's awesome. All right, let's get to the college football playoff. It's obviously championship weekend around the country and all the different, the SEC, ACC, Big Ten, Pac-12, AAC. Let's get, let me get your thoughts on, what are your thoughts on, you know, let's, let's keep it close to home, Florida. A terrible loss last week by the Gators to LSU. Can they still, if they were to somehow upset Alabama Saturday, in your opinion, do you think they deserve a spot in the in the champion in the Final Four with a two as a two loss SEC champion? No, no, I do not. <laughs> Florida beats Bama. Bama will still go to the playoffs. Right, I agree with Bama, that. I, I think the only shot for Bama to not go to the playoff is for them to get beaten by 50 by Florida, which you know is not going to happen. Uh, anything resembling a close game, Bama will still get in the playoff, Florida with the two losses. Uh, listen, I know it's 2020 and crazier things have happened, so I would believe almost anything at this point. But in my estimation, uh, there's just no way to me barring chaos that the Gators, a two-loss team, should or could get in the playoff this year. What, I mean, and, and, it's, and it's, really, it's really sad because the mistake that kid made on Saturday night late in the game, if you don't remember, the kid made a tackle on third down, threw the guy's shoe 20 yards down the field, got a penalty, which led to LSU kicking the field goal to kind of win the game there late. But just what a terrible way for – that guy to have to deal with that situation. Yeah, Wilson, uh, either the moment, I get it. I hear about it all the time. I know that's what it was, but come on. You because you don't do that, you have a better than average chance of winning that game. Now, if they would have won that game and then beaten Bama, yeah, they're in the playoffs. Absolutely. So, did it all come down to the shoe? No, but uh, – uh, had the shoe incident not happened, uh, the Gators might be sitting there with one loss right now. I agree. I agree. I agree. And speaking of Florida, before we get to the next team, update on Keontae Johnson, the basketball player who collapsed last week against Florida State on the court. Sounds like he's improving a little bit, which is good, great news for him. Any, any, any news? I know people don't realize Ocala and Gainesville are very close together to each other. Any news coming out that you hear about, I've heard about Keontae? 
Well, I don't think the diagnosis really is, is out there yet, um, but happily, uh, the news has been encouraging about Keontae. Uh, you know, first we had heard that the good stuff was that, you know, he got transferred from Tallahassee back home to UF Health uh, in Gainesville. Uh, then he was following some simple orders. Then FaceTiming with some team members, and, and they've really been uh, stayed close to him. The family has come in. Uh, so there's starting to be a little normality there uh, with Keontae. Again, the diagnosis is, uh, you know, still not completely clear. Uh, we have seen, then this is pure speculation, we have seen though these type of things happen to basketball players periodically through the years and I right. think uh, one is in, a, in particular that's probably on a lot of people's minds since we're in the really the 30th anniversary coming up of uh, Hank Gather. Yeah unbelievable. Uh, and which uh, he collapsed after a dunk and uh, of course uh, tragically passed away and that uh for Loyola Marymount back in 1990 uh they would go all the way to the Sweet 16 behind Bo Kimball and that uh that Cinderella team which was ended up being a, a, a heart-wrenching story uh but that was uh people think about that type of a collapse uh you know when they see something like Deontay's collapse is it the same thing too early to speculate right right yeah, I, I remember as a kid watching that. And I remember watching ESPN Sports Center when they broke in, when he collapsed and just terror. I mean, what a, and what a team they had! They had him, like you said, Bo Kimball. One of the one of the funnest teams to ever watch play. That run and gun style of play, where you know shooting a three every eight, seven or eight seconds, and I mean just Paul Westhead leading the way. You know, they were fun. They were fun because uh, you know no one knew what to make. They lost their best player tragically they yep. decided you know what we're going to go forward uh and play in the ncaa tournament which they did they uh right out of the gates they uh they took on the defending national champs michigan, michigan. right they won the national championship with uh Ramil robinson glenn rice and that whole crew right loyal marymount put up like 121 points on yeah. them right out of the building beat them by the defending national champs by like 30 yeah they were shooting threes all over the place i remember there was a color analyst at the time who joked that uh, Loyola Marymount loves offense so much that they let the other team score just so they could get the ball back. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's... You know, it, it, it was uh, it was a you know heartwarming story, but uh, certainly coming out of something very tragic. Are you a proponent of Ohio State? Five five only played five games. This will be their sixth game. You think they have enough of a resume of enough games to deserve a spot in the Final Four? I think, I think everything right now kind of goes out the window. It's nobody's fault that this college football season, and I don't mean to be a jerk, but this college football season is kind of a garbage year. It's a garbage year. You've got teams that have played, and I'm looking at the rankings right now. You know, you've got Bama up there and Notre Dame, they both 10-0. They've, they've played that many games. You know, Coastal Carolina's played 11 games. Uh, Georgia, nine, Oklahoma, nine, uh, Clemson, 10. And then you've got Ohio State, who's only played five undefeated. USC, who has played five out in the Pac-12 undefeated. But the Big Ten and the Pac-12 obviously got started late. Right. And then along the way have also had uh, canceled games. So is that their fault? No, it's not their fault. Um, so I think the eye test 
is as much or more of a factor in who makes the Final Four this year, whether that's right or wrong. I think the eye test is going to be a big thing. Um, you know, I think uh, recency has uh, created a little bit of bias. USC and the Pac-12 has not done well in recent memory. And here they are ranked 13th, while Ohio State, same record, same number of games, is number four. Okay, so if, if there's any bias, you know, they talk about West Coast bias, but there's a recency bias right. uh, also with that. So, you know, I think Ohio State, uh, they finish out the year undefeated. They're going to be in the playoff. Um, so, you know, what are you going to do about it? This is a weird year. It's 2020. Would you have been a, again, Tom is a big USC fan from back in the day from his childhood. Where did yes. that USC fandom come from? It comes from television. Uh, it comes from my family room growing up, seven years old, and seeing Charles White win the Heisman and USC when I was seven, and uh, they were on ABC, it seemed like, every single Saturday. And I didn't yep. know who was what. And, you know, I lived in Gator country, but uh, I just saw this USC football team, and I just became infected by Trojan football since I was little, and that's never left me. So I'm just a USC football goober. I'm really surprised. I would have thought if you were ever going to experiment, like you mentioned, this has been such a crazy 2020 football season and teams with different number of games. This would, to me, this would have been a great year to expand the playoff. Try it, either six or eight teams. That way a USC could potentially get in as a Pac-12 representative. You could have had maybe an Iowa State out of the Big 12 or an Oklahoma. And then obviously you have Ohio State with all the different variables. I think this would have been a great year to try – a, a different playoff scenario. Well, I 100% agree with you uh, for this year right. to kind of take a left turn in a try anything, make it up as we go along type of year that it has been. Yes. Um, you know, and I just want to also say with uh, being a USC fan, uh, do I think USC is good enough to compete in the college football playoff this year? No, I don't. No, I don't. They have, I mean, they've won. They've won every game. They've won every game in the last thirty seconds. It seems all four or five of their games have been buzzer ones. beaters. Yeah, four of their five have been late. So I just I want to take that uh, perceived yeah. possible bias out of that. But yeah, uh, this would be a year to do that. Now I think the current contract for the college football playoff, if I'm not mistaken, for the four teams goes through 2023. Does that sound right? That that does. I think you're right. I think that's right. Um, I am of the mind uh, in normal circumstances to keep it at four right now, um, aside from the COVID thing. Now, this year, yeah, I would have gone for anything for this one year to make an exception. But I like the four until the contract is up. Right. And right. then at that point, I would be for one tweak in the playoffs. Cool. Because, I mean, again, like a, a great story this year, Coastal Carolina. You've been a UC, you're a UCF guy. They've had years in the past where they've been the darling of college football, the Coastal Carolinas. This would have been a great year to have that ultimate Cinderella really get a shot as an eight seed or a six seed to have an opportunity. Agree. I agree. And I think that the one tweak that I would make long term to the college football playoff, we can never have a March Madness situation in football. It can't be done. It shouldn't be done. Never go over eight teams. Right. I would like to see 
the college football playoff go to eight teams, ultimately. And here's how I would do it. If we sit here and keep the same power five conferences, you have the conference title game winner, because we're not getting rid of conference title games. There's no going backwards on things that are already done because of money. The conference title games are already in stone, and they're not going to go away because of money. So you're going to have to live with it whether you like the conference title games or not. They're here. Yep. End of story. So have the five winners of that, okay, get in the playoff. You take care of that. You don't have somebody left out. Then you have three remaining slots, and I, you know, I look at those as at large. Wild cards, yeah, basically, yeah, absolutely. If you've got, uh, for example, somebody that won the regular season that looks really, really good, but somehow, so for example, say uh, this year, you know, if it were in Alabama, okay, and then they're ten and zero, they're going undefeated, but they lose in the conference title game in the SEC. But you're like, how can they look? Look at their body of work. How can they not be in the playoffs? Right. Alabama gets obviously a loss in the SEC title game. They get an at-large. Okay, that kind of a situation. And then you get in past years like a UCF. Um, whether they can win the whole thing or not, who knows? But right. at least let's see it play out. That right. would be fascinating. It would okay? be. Uh, would they get beat by 40 by Alabama, or would they take them all the way to the gun? We want to know. We want to see right. these things. And upsets can happen. So. I think the eight-team scenario with the five title game winners and the three at-larges, to me, would be ideal. I totally agree. I think it'd be a cool thing to do. You could have the first round of those eight at the home team site. So you could have in Tuscaloosa, Central Florida going to play in Tuscaloosa in, in, the, in the quarterfinals. Or you could have the, you know, Oklahoma hosting a Boise State or hosting a Coastal Carolina, something like that. And that would just be cool drama, the David versus Goliath scenario. Or you could have a, two heavyweights. You could have Ohio State playing Nebraska or whatever the two teams are. Yeah, agreed. And, and you know, the home field advantage, I think, is deserving for those top four seeds in the first round, absolute home field, do a home thing there. And then once you get to the semis, do what you're doing right now and yep. utilize the Rose Bowl or utilize the, the Cotton Bowl or the Sugar Bowl, whatever. Right. And from there. But I think that, yes, I like what you're saying with that first round. That's good. That's good. All right. Let's trans. Okay. Give me, you have an upset special this week or do you think it's going to hold, everybody's going to hold serve? I'm going to give you my upset in a second. Well, I, I don't know what, from the college football uh, final games, the, the, Conference championships? Yeah, give me a you got you got an upset. Well, if it if it counts as an upset just based on the rankings and the records, then this is an easy one for me. So yes, I have one. It, Clemson over Notre Dame, to me on and with the eye test, that ain't an upset. But it's three beating number two. Yeah. It's a nine and one who's already lost to the ten and zero. So I, that would be my safe bet. Okay. Well, I'm actually going the other way. I think Notre Dame's going to knock Clemson out completely. I think they're going to wow. beat them a second time. Clemson's like an eleven point favorite. I'm going to. I I don't know what it is about this Irish team this year. 
They just find a way to get it done. I'm taking the Irish to knock Clemson out. I love it. Hey, I love how we can both pick opposite teams in the same game and still consider it an upset. That's right. (laughs) Either way, it's an upset. That's right. Either way. That's right. All right. All right, let's get, to your, your, let's get to your love of college hoops. We've just started the college hoop season. We've had, you know, they've played probably two and a half, three weeks now. Give me your early thoughts just about, again, Tom is the play-by-play uh, broadcaster for the Florida Gulf Coast uh, University down in Fort Myers. Give me your early thoughts on the college hoop season. Uh, you know, college hoops makes me happy. Uh, it's just a happy place for me. I love college basketball. Um, so it's so great to have it on uh, and to have it back. So, you know, managing COVID and postponements and cancellations and doing the preseason tournaments so crazy, like the Maui Invitational happening in North Carolina, those kinds of things has been interesting. And I, I just have to tip my cap to the people who have made it so these things can be pulled off. It's a lot of work from behind the scenes. Trust me, I've worked at the school and watched how they have to completely overhaul everything. So just a big tip of the cap to all the people in the sport, in all sports, uh, behind the scenes who are trying to make this work safely. Uh, So I want to say that first. Uh, college basketball has been pretty cool to me uh, so far this season. I, I mean, I even have a pseudo Final Four uh, pick for you. There you go. But, uh, you know, so, some teams to me that have really stood out. Uh, West Virginia is a team that I think is terrifically dangerous. Uh, to some people Bob Huggins. Bob Huggins in the, in the crew down there up in Morgantown. Their front line and their bodies down low are brutal. I would not want to play them. You know, we saw a Richmond team that had already pulled off a big upset early in the year get run out of the building over the weekend (laughs) by West Virginia. Uh, West Virginia is a really, really good team. They're six and one. Uh, They're deep. Obviously, Huggy Bear's a great coach, but that's a team that I could see making a really deep run in the NCAA tournament. Uh, you know, conversely, you know, we've seen uh, some of the big boys struggle, struggle a little bit. Uh, Kentucky, obviously, off to a, a very tough start early. Always young guys who are trying to find their way and learn how to play together at the next level. I will tell you that Kentucky, as long as they're healthy, uh, is still probably at least a Sweet 16 team this year. They'll get it together. But this isn't quite the, the collection of players, I think, that the Wildcats have seen in, in recent years. I think this is a big year in the college basketball world for veteran teams. You have a lot of chaos. You have a lot of disjointed practices, times, travel scenarios. I think this is a year where a veteran-laden team that's got a lot of experience. You know, I've, I've heard some stuff about Texas being really good this year. They've got some veterans that was Shaka Smart. You got, you know – some of these older teams, these mid-major teams, at Creighton, for example, Creighton's really good. You know, some of these teams that have, again, a lot of juniors and seniors, I think they're able to handle some of this disjointed scheduling better than some of these, like you said, the Kentuckys of the world. I think that's a great point. I really do. Because there's so much uh, that's going to be unpredictable and things are going to go down 
between now and the time that we have the NCAA tournament bubble, which is probably going to be in Indianapolis. I believe that. Uh, if you haven't heard that uh, for folks out there, they are uh, eyeing doing a bubble for the NCAA tournament. And uh, it looks like the men's tournament will be in Indianapolis. Uh, I think it was announced earlier this week that the women's will be in San Antonio. Yes. That will be all bubble. Yes. Uh, but yes, uh, all the, the ups and downs uh, that you have to face with this kind of a situation this year, I think that's a great point you bring up about more experienced teams who know each other better. They've played together. Uh, Gonzaga is another uh, right. great example of that. And they are absolutely loaded this year. They are. Uh, so that's a, that's a good good tip to throw out there for somebody uh, filling out a bracket a little bit later on uh, in March uh, to look for teams like that. And I just saw yesterday the NCAA announced that they, they've, they've lifted their transfer restriction. So everybody this year can have a free, is eligible to free to transfer this year free of charge, not having to sit out. So I think that'll be interesting to see how that affects some of these college basketball teams, especially as we enter January, the next semester of school, where somebody could theoretically transfer now to start the spring semester somewhere else and so forth. Your thoughts? I'm okay with them making the exception for this year. I don't like it long term. Um, I like the sit out a year rule unless there now there are um, periodically exceptions made uh, even in normal times for that. Yep. Which is fine. There are reasons for that. Uh, but but I do not agree with the complete open door policy outside of this year for transfers. Uh, that would create way too much havoc and make uh, coaching completely a nightmare. And <laughs> it just it just would it would tear apart teams right uh to to a point that i just think it would it would really take the fabric away from from the sport but either sport basketball or football all right let's talk a little florida gulf coast give me a little give me a little preview of the team the the, the 2020 version and then before you do that i want to i want you i want you to take the audience back you were a member of the you were part of the dream run back when dunk city was was formed in became a national phenomenon for that couple of week period. Tell us about the, 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 the Dunk City evolution of Dunk City and just the enjoyment of the fun that was to go through that, that, that tournament. Well, you know, I was the point guard on that team. And, uh, you know, I averaged uh, double digits. <laughs> Part of it, you say, in the, the perspective of being a, a broadcaster, and that was an amazing, amazing time that I think virtually no one really saw coming. Right. FGCU at the time, and I'd been the voice of uh, FGC for about three years at that time in 2013. And, and uh, the school had brought on Andy Enfield as the, the new coach the previous year, um, who's a guy that everybody loved to play for, be around, um, and he could get the most out of guys. He, he right. could find guys and pinpoint what they did best and draw the max out of them for that particular skill set. Right. Um, and that was exciting to watch. And that's what he did with that Dunk City team. Um, you know, they had some bad losses during that season, uh, inexplicable things that they did. Did we think that FGCU, uh, who had players 
who were older than the school itself, this young, this young university who had, that hadn't even been around very long, that nobody knew much about at all, uh, would ever do something like that. But they gelled at the right time. They played with reckless abandon. They had nothing to lose. They were so fun. They flew above the rim. They were throwing up oops right and left. And Georgetown got knocked out by them in the first round, and they just completely just uh, ran them right out of the building. And the same thing with San Diego State in the second round. It was magic. I mean, it was absolute magic. Um, it was a week, couple of weeks that, that I don't think anybody, even casual college basketball fans, will really ever forget because you see a lot of Cinderella's through the years. Um, but one that has such a calling card like FGCU yep. is the Dunks. Um, Dunk City, you know, will be, be ever forever called Dunk City. I mean, not everybody gets that. You know, you, you, you have to look back to when you think of Dunks to uh, the Houston Cougars back in Five Slamma Jamma in the early part of the 80s, and people still think about that. And yeah. that, that will stick with FGCU. And to have a nickname like that and an image that comes out of that is, is priceless. But uh, the fun that that created was, uh, was unbelievable. Yeah, and, and- – Enfield is now the head coach at USC. He's been there six or seven years at USC after the Florida Gulf Coast run. So he's had a good run at USC as well. I spoke to a USC, the guy who covers USC a week ago, and he says he's the winningest coach in USC history. That he, that, I mean, that he's done a good job and people are expecting more out of him. But Matt was telling me this guy's done a really good job. There hasn't been a coach that's won as much as he has tournaments and all that stuff. So they, they, you know. Well, you know, he also he go he's going to a football school there. Right. So, uh, you know, USC is completely a football school. Basketball's never really had much of an impact, uh, so he kind of had a blank white canvas to play with out there. Yep. He was the hot name in the game. He spent the two years at FGCU and uh, was able to go out there do his recruiting, um, and has done a great job with that. Um, so, and I, I think Andy's there for uh, probably still for a while now and, and yeah. he's taken uh usc to to some good heights uh yeah you know they they can still go a little higher i think but uh, they love him out there and and uh it's been a good fit for him yeah good great and he and his he and his beautiful wife they live out in manhattan beach and uh you know he married a model amanda and uh you know so he, he's got the greatest life you know he you know he's got the great kids he's got a beautiful home he's coaching basketball at usc i mean uh, life is good for any well, people don't. I'm gonna give people a description of Tom. Tom looks like the. Tom looks like he spent some days on the beach in himself in his day. He's got the the golden blonde locks, the 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 nice tan. He, you, I can tell you've been on a surfboard in your day somewhere, Daytona time Beach somewhere. Uh, time or two, you know. <laughs> he, he, you you definitely are. You fit the California look, man. You got the good looks, the the blonde hair. The, the good skin, you got it all, man. I got to I mean, this is my agent. You know, I, I got to you got to be my agent, man. This is great. Yeah, keep going. I'll stop. You know, you That's just right, go. Man. It's great. I, I can listen to this all day. That's right. All right. <laughs> all right, let's get to your career a little bit. Kind of what was your draw into broadcasting? Sounds like you've been a huge sports fan your whole life, growing up in Ocala. Kind of what drew you into the world of, hey, I want to be a broadcaster? Oh, I can trace that back to like five years old watching guys uh, on television again at, uh, you know, I was raised on a heavy diet of TV and radio. So 
but just watching sports from an early age, I can tell you faces and voices of the announcers really uh, got to me early on. And I can tell you which ones they were. You know, Keith Jackson really resonated with me early. Dick Enberg. Gordon Soley, if anybody yeah, out yeah. there watches uh, anything about uh, the history of pro wrestling and uh, championship wrestling from Florida, he was everywhere. I was greatly influenced by Gordon Soley uh, back in the day uh, in terms of style and, and all kinds of things. So he was a big influence. Billy Packer, lots of guys. But, but uh, so, and I would drive my friends crazy because we would be out in the driveway playing basketball and in the yard playing football. We'd be playing and I'd be announcing what was going on while we were doing it. And it, it would be crazy for them, but that was just, that was unnatural for me. So I was broadcasting it, you know, out in the front yard uh, since I was a little kid. Now do you, now I know you, again, you, Tom's done plenty of play by play, that kind of stuff. He's worked network television. Do you, did you enjoy the sports director job that you had when you're working for a, a TV station more or what, what do you prefer more enjoy the atmosphere more the actual play by play calling or more in the, the studio doing some of that kind of the video work, the documentary kind of work that you've been, very accomplished in. Well, I love it all. Um, but I have to say that by far what I love the most is the play-by-play, -play, uh, followed fairly closely by the studio hosting. But the, the stuff I'm doing these days, really, play-by-play uh, -play is what I wanted to do from the very beginning. Uh, those were the guys that I sort of emulated and, and learned from, you know, 15, 20 different guys and, and uh, growing up with the play-by-play the, the -play guys. Yeah. Um, so that's what I enjoy the most. Uh, being the sports director for a couple of NBC stations around the country was a, a, an amazing experience. Um, you get to cover so many things. You get to do a variety of things. You know, you're anchoring, you're reporting, you're going to this event, you're in the studio. It's, you know, it's all over the place. Uh, so uh, that was fun. Uh, but, but I think these days, uh, these are the good old days uh, for me in sports casting because it's the play-by-play -play that really is the engine room for me. Talk about the change in sports media the last 10 or 15 years where we've really gone away as a consumer from the traditional 11 o'clock or 11.20 sports cast on your local NBC station to more of the streaming, the ESPNs, the, the digital content, all the different avenues of broadcasting. Talk about the changes in the, in the media of what you do and how many more opportunities there are now for guys like you to work on ESPN3, digital, YouTube, all these different, the podcast that I'm doing, all the different opportunities to, to produce content. There needs to be a platform for Jason Powers, and now there is. So <laughs> thank God for that. So that's the best part of digital media, right there, <laughs> is the ability for us to get this guy uh, once a week or more. But yes, I, I think it's a win-win for most people. So it's a win, of course, for fans. Okay, because uh, we're old enough to know and remember a time when to, to be able to watch a game, um, it was something you really looked forward to. You, it, most games weren't on. Um, there was one game a week, 3.30 with Keith Jackson on Saturday afternoon, one game. Okay, and I didn't know if you went back as far as I did, but yes. I mean, so in this day and age, you basically get – Every college basketball game you want from just about every school. College football, same. 
Uh, and then that goes for all the other sports too. You know, you can watch soccer from Europe or, you know, whatever, whatever the case, it's all available out there. Yeah. Okay. So for a fan, you get to see your team regardless on yeah. some platform, they're going to be there. Uh, now for a, a broadcaster, Hey, it's pretty cool too, because there are so many more opportunities now to, uh, since there are so many more broadcasts and games being broadcast, they got to have talent out there. So uh, there are those opportunities for, for guys like us uh, to do play-by-play, and that's always fun as well. You know, I, I would say kind of the only drawback to it, it, to having all these games available, is the specialness. Um, you know, I think uh, games aren't as special now because you know they're going to be there. You just assume you can watch anything. Back when we were growing up, man, there was no sports on TV during the week. Right. Let me just start with that. There was Monday night football and there was Monday night baseball. After that, during the week, there was no sports. And if you're younger than us, you probably can't even believe what I'm telling you right now. But that is the truth. It was really college basketball that started in the early 80s when ESPN came around. Right. That's what it was. But for college football, you're right. You You had a noon game. Uh, Jefferson, Jefferson Pilot, Jefferson Pilot, Jefferson SEC. Pilot. Yeah, <laughs> they would have you'd have a noon game like that, which would be an East Coast game. You know, they would do SEC, ACC, or you know, ABC when they had a doubleheader might have a, you know, they'd have Michigan, Ohio State at noon, right. or Auburn, Alabama, or Florida, Florida State, and then at three thirty, it'd always be a pack, pack, was pack ten at the time. You know, you'd have USC, Washington, or USC, UCLA, or USC, Notre Dame, or something like that. Um, and that's where the USC thing came in for me because I watched the Trojans. I'm like, who is this cool team with these cool <laughs> uniforms and gorgeous cheerleaders? And, and the hot chicks. That's right, man. I fell in love with it. I just I couldn't believe it. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, that, that special, you look forward to that day where you finally got games. Well, now you can't miss a game. Yeah. So that would be the only drawback. But how's that really a drawback? That's right, man. That's right. That's right. That's uh, all right. Last thing I want to talk about. I want you to talk a little bit about what you're kind of doing now. You're the director of networking for the Ocala Marion County Chamber and Economic Partnership. Tell the audience kind of what that is and what that entails and brag on the Ocala Marion County part of the country a little bit. Well, thank you for this opportunity. Um, when I'm not sportscasting uh, and uh, doing play by play or what have you, for ESPN family and networks or really any opportunities that are out there. Uh, I have a a real job also, and it is working for the Ocala Chamber and Economic Partnership, the CEP. Uh, We're a combination of the Chamber of Commerce and the Economic Development Council. We're all about job growth, uh, wage growth uh, in Ocala, uh, a place that is growing uh, fantastically uh, right now. Um, And my world is uh, networking. So, you know, helping businesses uh, network, uh, connect with each other to grow their businesses. Um, also working with a lot of our upper tier partners, right? Um, the executive tier partners to, to make sure that they get the most out of their partnership uh, and connecting businesses. And, and like I say, uh, you know, as an organization, um, it is attracting a lot of distribution to this area. Uh, it has been big. It's created a lot of jobs. Uh, Average wage has gone way up in the eight years uh, since the uh, CEP was formed. And 
we're very excited because this year, with after all this hard work uh, and the buy-in from our businesses, our local businesses and our CEP partners, we were named out of over 8,000 chambers in America, we were named the 2020 ACCE National Chamber of the Year. Um, and we had been finalists the last couple of years and we finally won it in our third time. And, and uh, uh, I think it's just a testament to everybody in the community's buy-in and what we're trying to do um, and how, how great this economy is even during COVID time. So it's been exciting. Yeah. And yeah, it's my I mean, home, hometown. It's my hometown, and so to be able to be a tiny little link in the chain for the betterment of my hometown is means more to me than I could ever tell. Absolutely. It's, again, people that don't know where Ocala is, it's basically right off of I seventy five going between Tampa and Gainesville. You know, it's it's a perfect little community off the interstate. Lots of commerce, lots of you know, full blown restaurants, everything, you, hotels, everything you can want. Ocala offers it's a great travel destination for people that travel up and down the I-75 corridor. Yeah. It's a great, and we have a great downtown. I mean, it's, yep. uh, yeah, we're growing, uh, but it's a great uh, small town feel, uh, community, family-oriented environment. It's still a lot of fun. Our downtown is thriving, um, and we're right in the middle of the state, like right in the middle. So, What is, uh, the, po- what is the population, 100,000? So the population of our county which we consider our Ocala Metro, is right now about 365,000. Okay. We uh, are uh, projections for this next election cycle, if you will. By 2024, we're going to have, we're going to surpass 400,000 uh, population. So that's a big growth Great. Um, between now and 2024. We'll be over 400K. That's great. That's great. What, uh, all right, I want to ask you a couple of little off the, off the wall questions. Outside of football and basketball, kind of what's been the most fun, the, the coolest event you've ever called? Kind of an off the, off the radar event, something that you've called that you said, man, that's pretty dang cool. Flyboard. Okay, what's that? It's, uh, <clears throat> um, so it's pro watercross. Uh, but there is a versioning sport called flyboard out there. It's been around almost 10 years, I guess. And you'll know it if you, if you, you, you'd know it if you saw it. Uh, but it's, uh, it's a jet ski in the water with a tube going up to a guy on a board or gal. Uh, who is doing all kinds of cool moves, sort of surfer moves in the air up above the water. Uh, and the water's being pumped up through this tube to, to sort of propel them. It's crazy. But I have hosted uh, the uh, World Championships on the CBS Sports Network in the past. And <laughs> coolest sport out there. Coolest sport out there. Flyboard. Love it. There you go. That's cool. That's cool. That's cool. That's cool. All right, talk to me about your, your Murrow Awards. You put a couple of documentaries together. Very, very proud of that, I'm sure. That's a very tough thing to talk about those documentaries you did. Thanks, man. Uh, well, so uh, the Edward R. Murrow Awards came one when I was uh, working in Charlottesville at the NBC station uh, up there. I did a uh, feature story on uh, pro wrestling one night, Ric Flair and the whole crew. And, nice. Uh, yeah, it like turned that. out that that ended up winning an Edward R. Murrow it was a lot of fun uh, and that, that meant a lot and then the uh, second one happened in southwest Florida at the NBC station for uh, that was a NASCAR 
uh, the Richard Petty driving experience around the Homestead Miami Speedway. We won nice. uh, won one for that uh, as well. Um, did some documentaries for Florida Gulf Coast coming off that Dunk City uh, phenomenon in 2013. Uh, so there are actually, uh, there's a trilogy. There's a documentary trilogy out there, J-Pal. Uh, the first one was called Dunk City, We Are FGCU. All about that magical Sweet 16 run. First 15 seed to ever get to the Sweet 16. We did a uh, follow-up to that, which was called the Dunk City Effect. And all the all that that run did for not only FGCU, but all of Southwest Florida. It's really changed the game in a lot of ways down there. And then their incredible women's basketball team, which is always uh, amazing. Uh, we did one called Raining Threes, the story of FGCU women's basketball. Uh, Carl Semesco is the head coach. Carl Semesco, women's basketball coach at FGCU. I want you to hear me right now. Will one day be the winningest basketball coach of all time. Wow. Put it down. He's uh, not 50 yet. I think he just turned 50. And he is already uh, approaching 600 wins for his career. They win 25 to 30 games every single year. Tara Vanderveer, the uh, head coach at Stanford, just be uh, past Pat Summit as the winningest women's yep. coach uh, earlier this week. Uh, but down the road, Carl Semesco one day will break all the records as the winningest basketball coach. FGCU's Carl Semesco. And you only hear that here on the Powers on Sports podcast, talking about my man, Tom James. Tom and I have had the pleasure to work a couple high school events together in the last couple of months. I look forward to working with, with you down the road for sure. Um, want to thank you so much for your time, Tom. You can reach Tom on his Twitter feed, at Tom James Live. Um, where, else can, where else can we find Tom at? Yeah, uh, well, Tom James, at Tom James Live, Twitter, same with uh, Instagram, Tom James Live, Facebook, Tom James Live, and also uh, check out my website, TomJamesLive.com. And if you're ever in the Ocala area, Marion County, stop by City Hall. I'm sure Tom's got a nice, beautiful office in there somewhere, and say hi to Tom. There you go. There, I feel right over my shoulder here. That's right. That's right. But really want to thank you, Tom, for coming on. Great job, great career. Keep it up. Look forward to seeing you sometime soon. Have a great holiday. You and the missus, have a great holiday. Enjoy that brand new red Jeep you got. You got a nice, beautiful red Jeep. I love it. But uh, and enjoy that and have a great holiday, man. Jay Powell, thank you. Jason Powers, uh, best podcast out there. And it's such an honor to be with you, buddy. Thank you. Appreciate you, man. You're listening to the Powers on Sports podcast. I'll be right back in just a minute talking some NF. Welcome back. Hopefully you enjoyed that fine interview with Tom James. Tom is a good dude. He's an excellent broadcaster. Very well-versed career, both in the play-by-play world as well as sport. being a sports director of local TV in a couple of different markets. So big thanks to Tom for joining us on the podcast. Before we get to our NFL and college football weekend of predictions and picks, want to mention our couple of our sponsors, Titan Home Lending. If you're looking for a home, refinance, renovation loan, house, townhouse, condo, mobile home, anywhere in the state of Florida, reach out to Titan Home Lending. We'd love to help you. They'd love to help you. You can call area code 205-790-1404. And again, Titan Home Lending. If you're in the market for a home or would like to refinance what you currently have, 
You can do a primary residence, a investment property, a second home, all the different options that you have out there. Interest rates are still tremendous, many of them well below 3%, and uh, love to help you. So Titan Home Lending, 205-790-1404. And also want to mention Ultimate Health Plans with my man Patrick Highland. If you're in need of Medicare uh, benefits, Medicare help, Reach out to Patrick anywhere in the state of Florida. He can help you with uh, Medicare plans for for uh, adults 65 and over. Uh, he also can help you with life insurance and those kind of needs as well. So reach out to Patrick Highland, Ultimate Health Plans, 813-966-1052. Okay, Championship Saturday is here. Four slots available. Most everybody thinks Alabama's in, whether they win or lose. We won't discuss that. Most people think Notre Dame is in, win or lose. I think Notre Dame's going to beat Clemson a second time. So uh, the question is going to be if Clemson were to lose a second time, are they out? If Florida beats Alabama in the SEC title game, is Florida in back in the mix after their devastating loss to LSU last week at home as a 24-point favorite? Uh, Ohio State and Northwestern in the Big Ten. Again, the only question with Ohio State is, have they played enough games? Most people think they're good enough, but the question has to be asked, is five or six games, is that a, is, is six-game sample, is that enough to get them in over a team that's played 10, 11 games, like a Texas A&M who's 9-1? and one. Uh, So those are the questions. My opinion, I think Ohio State will find a way to get it done against Northwestern. They're laying 20 so far. Uh, They're clearly better than Northwestern. Northwestern has a very good defense, so I could see that game being close at the half. So if you're investing, you might want to look into maybe a Northwestern first-half play because I do think Ohio State is going to try to score as many points as they can. They're going to have to try to run up the score to be impressive to the committee. So, again, I think Ohio State will try to score all they can score no matter the scenario. Pac-12 championship, you got USC and Oregon. Oregon is replacing Washington, who had to be, who could not field a team this week because of COVID. USC is undefeated, 13th in the polls. You know, they've they've, like we talked about with Tom, they've squeaked by multiple games this year in the in the last 30 seconds. I think four out of their five wins has been in the last minute of the game. I don't think they're a viable uh playoff contender. I think Oregon's gonna beat them tomorrow. I think on Friday. Uh, Oregon has had a week and a half to get ready for this game. I like Oregon plus the three points in this one as well. So give me Oregon to take care of business against USC. Again, we talked Notre Dame-Clemson. I like Notre Dame in the game. The number's 10. Clemson's about a 10-point favorite. Um, I just think it's one of those special years for Notre Dame. I think they're going to get to the playoff. And again, the question is, if Clemson loses a second game to Notre Dame, what happens to Clemson? In my opinion, if they if they go down a second time, I don't think they deserve to be in the playoff. If you look at their schedule, they've not really had much of a very impressive uh, string of wins other than beating Miami. Um, I don't think you can put a two-loss team in that did not win their conference championship game. Even though Clemson has the pedigree and the history, you have to judge the season based on 2020, not what they've done in the past. So obviously if Clemson wins, they'll be in, and I think Notre Dame will also be in, so it'll be – Clemson wins, you'll have a, you'll have Alabama, Notre Dame, and Clemson as three out of your four. Then the question becomes, 
Does Ohio State get in if they win? Does Texas A&M get in? What if Florida beats Alabama? Does Florida and Alabama get in at the expense of Texas A&M and Ohio State? Those are the questions that the committee may have to answer if we have any kind of chaos on championship Saturday and Friday. Um, And again, the Alabama-Florida game. I think Alabama is clearly the better team. I do think Florida is going to be able to score some points against the Alabama defense with Kyle Trask and company, but I just don't know if Florida can stop Alabama's uh, offense. They're three-headed monster. Mac Jones, Najee Harris, Devontae Smith. They've got weapons all over the field. They can run the ball. They can throw the ball. The pass protection is really good, and I just am very nervous about the Florida defense. I think it's going to be a very high-scoring game, lots of offense. Florida does not run the ball very well, so you're going to have to have a monster game out of Kyle Trask. I think if Florida can't score 40, they have, they, they have no chance to win the game. Could I see Florida scoring a backdoor touchdown potentially at late to cover the game? I could, um, but I do think Alabama's the, the odds-on favorite. Uh, I would love to see Florida win the game only to see some of the controversy and the chaos with the playoff committee, but I will take Alabama in the game uh, to win the game. UAB Marshall, Conference USA title game, team close to my heart. UAB, this is my alma mater. Great job by Bill Clark. They they went on the road last week to Rice and won the game that they had to win to get to this game this week with less than 50 scholarship players due to COVID and some opt-outs. They lost their potentially All-American receiver uh, who opted out a couple of weeks back. So they've been playing very shorthanded uh, in Birmingham. Coach Clark's done an unbelievable job. Third straight year that the Blazers have been in the CUSA title game. So uh, shout out to them. They, they will play on the road at Marshall. Doc Holliday's done a good, very good job in, in Huntington with that program. Uh, I don't know. I'll be interested to see what the weather's like on Friday in Huntington. You had a big snowstorm that's hit the Northeast. I'll be interested to see if that gets to West Virginia. If it's bad weather, I would favor Marshall in the in the in the elements. Um, and I would favor probably Marshall, have a slight lean to Marshall overall, even though they are my beloved Blazers. So um, another note, college football-wise, Auburn made a surprise move and sent Gus Malzahn packing along with a nice bag full of money, $21 million worth of money, to not be the coach at Auburn. What a life, what a country, when you're getting $21 million to not be the coach at Auburn. Uh, and uh, hang out in the SEC uh, network studios probably for a year, as he probably will do. Um, again, I think you'll see Gus Malzahn back in, in the in the major Power Five conference as a head coach in 2022. I don't think he'll coach this coming up year, because why would you coach when you can collect $21 million? Um, and in these athletic departments, what are you doing structuring these contracts where the buyouts are so high. That's just, to me, that's just unconscionable by these universities to do that when you're when somebody's writing. And I know a lot of this money comes from the boosters, which is private money, but still, they you, you, the college athletics has got to calm down on this, on these buyouts. I know you want to keep your coach, and that's part of the reason that you do these buyouts is to keep the coach from bolting after a couple of good years, but you cannot – structure these contracts where guys are getting $20 million, $15, $20 million. Remember, Will Muschamp is going to get about $15 million to not be the coach at South Carolina. 
who's now turned around and hired Shane Beamer in this last week or so. Um, so I just, I just, please stop universities doing this. Um, and again, we as the the consumer are the ones that typically pay the price and ticket prices, college tuition, and all that kind of stuff tends to trickle down from these kind of bad decisions that these universities are making. So, as far as these buyouts go, um, interesting. Like I said, we talked about the transfer rule going into effect, signing day, and the first national signing day was a, a couple of days ago. Uh, the the usual suspects leading the way: Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, LSU. Um, there is another signing period that's still in February, which was the traditional signing day. But they've I, I do like that they've gotten some of these signings out of the way in December. Obviously, this has been a very uh, goofy year with COVID, where coaches have not been able to recruit much on the road, if at all. Um, so a lot of these recruits have been have been are being recruited by by film, phone calls, re- recommendations, that kind of thing. So it'd be interesting to see how this crop of of uh, recruits works out four years, two, three, four years from now. Um, remember this year in college sports, and I believe in all college, all the sports, this year does not count towards your eligibility. So this is basically a free year of eligibility for every every athlete, whether you are playing soccer, football, whatever it is, basketball. So this is basically a free year to, to do what it, it doesn't count towards your eligibility. So you will have some schools that will not sign as many guys because they have guys returning because of this extra year. And there'll be some schools that'll be uh, pushing guys out the door. And remember, athletes can now transfer this year only without it, without penalty from Division I school to Division I school, football, basketball, baseball, soccer, you name it. Any athlete can transfer this year to any other Division I school free of charge without having to sit out. So... Interesting to see how the NCAA will adopt if they do that down the road permanently. There's been a proposal where they may allow one every student athlete one trans one free transfer during their college career, and I think I could live with that. I think that's an opportunity that that should be an opportunity for people. Um, not everybody's always happy at the place they choose to go for a variety of reasons, whether it's school, academics, socially, whatever. And so I do like the the idea that a, a, a student athlete could change schools one time, free of charge, not have to sit out, and could continue to play intercollegiate athletics. So I do I would be I would endorse that and be a fan of that one time and one time only. Okay, National Football League Week 15. We are getting to the absolute home stretch here, basically the week before Christmas. By the way, if you haven't started your shopping, you better get on it. Don't expect those packages to arrive by Christmas if you're ordering them now on Amazon. You better get to the store, get in the car, go to the store, buy locally, buy in your neighborhood. Those small businesses need it. So try to help out your small businesses in your local area as much as possible because these businesses have been struggling mightily because of the COVID situation and the financial ramifications of that. So my little public service announcement for the week, try to buy as local as you can, as, as often as you can. National Football League. It's the first week of Saturday games in the NFL. We got Carolina at Green Bay Saturday night. Buffalo at D- Denver Saturday afternoon. So you, you couple the college football championship games with the NFL. So you got a very active Saturday schedule along with your Sunday games. And then we got a Monday night dud dud of a game, Pittsburgh at Cincinnati, which will be terrible. So 
National Football League, Green Bay at uh, hosting Carolina Saturday night. No McCaffrey still. Aaron Rodgers on fire. If Green Bay runs the table, they'll be the number one seed in the NFC. Uh, I do expect Green Bay to win the game. Eight and a half is a big number. I may tease that number down, uh, but I do like Green Bay at home. Cold weather most likely. No McCaffrey. Give me the Packers on a teaser. Uh, Buffalo heading to Denver. Tricky game here with Denver and, and Buffalo. Denver with a nice win last week at Carolina. Drew Locke playing pretty well. Buffalo, big win. Big two wins in a row. You had uh, on the, a Monday night and then a Sunday night last Sunday against Pittsburgh at home. Tricky game, having to travel on a short week out to Denver. Six and a half is a big number. I don't like the game personally. I'll stay away. I think Buffalo will find a way. Most likely, Buffalo is going to be the three seed in the AFC. Probably and it's going to win the AFC East most likely. But uh, I think, again, you would have to lean Buffalo in this game. But I could see this game being very, very tight with the Denver Broncos in mile high Saturday afternoon. Again, we'll see what the weather's like out there. You never know what you're going to get this time of year out in Denver. Sunday. Houston heading to Indianapolis. Big win by Indy last week in Las Vegas. Houston got crushed. Indianapolis minus seven. I'll definitely have Indianapolis in this game. Tease them down to one. Maybe partner them up with Green Bay Saturday night. Would be a good combo. But I definitely like Indy. Detroit at Tennessee. Uh, Tennessee needs to win the game, obviously, to stay uh, even with the Colts. I think definitely think Matthew Stafford's very, going to be very questionable. He probably won't play this week. Rib injury. I uh, definitely like the Titans at home, who destroyed uh, Jacksonville last week. Give me the Titans at home. Jets, Rams. There's only one word to say here. Rams, move on. Bucks, Falcons. Interesting game in the uh, NFC South. The Bucks need to win the game to, to maintain their opportunity for a fifth seed. Right now, they're in the sixth spot. Um Bucks have been ravaged by COVID this week. The first real incidents that the Buccaneers have had this week on with COVID, Ronald Jones, the punter, the kicker, and the long snapper are all very questionable whether they're going to get to play. So the kicking situation for the Buccaneers and punting situation could be a question mark, big issue for them. And obviously probably no Ronald Jones this week, so look for Fournette, look for Keyshawn Vaughn potentially, and Shady McCoy. I do like the Bucs to find a way to win the game in Atlanta. Brady, the receiving core, the defense to take care of the Falcons, and Raheem. Patriots head to Miami. Interesting game, AFC East. Miami minus two and a half. I like the Dolphins here. I think the Dolphins lost a tough, hard-fought game with Kansas City last week. I do look for Miami to rebound defensively and shut down that New England offense, and I look for Tua to get it done against the Patriots. So give me the Dolphins at home minus a two and a half. Maybe the best game, maybe one of the most intriguing games of the week. Seattle going cross country to Washington. Seattle minus about five against the football team. Uh, Alex Smith hurt last week. Not sure what his status is as of yet of this taping, but we'll be interesting to see how the Redskins handle that. The defense for Washington is excellent. Two defensive touchdowns last week. You got Russell and company on offense, strong offense. Defense is getting better in Seattle. Uh, not Again, if Haskins plays, I definitely like Seattle. If Alex Smith plays, I still like Seattle, but it would be a much tighter game. Chicago goes to Minnesota. 
Minnesota with a disastrous kicking situation last week with Dan Bailey. Can't believe he's not been cut yet. Uh, as of this broadcast, he's still on the roster. He may not be there by Sunday, so we'll see on that. Uh, I do like Minnesota to win the game on Sunday. A bounce back. They're still in the mix for the seventh seed. Lost a tough game at Tampa last week. Trubisky playing better for, for the Bears, but give me Minnesota at home. Dalvin Cook, Kirk Cousins and company, Jordan Jefferson. Uh, Justin Jefferson, excuse me. Jacksonville heading to Baltimore. Give me the Ravens. What a comeback. What a job by the Ravens on Monday night in Cleveland. Lamar Jackson bails them out on fourth and five out of the you know, the, the alleged cramps, whether you want to call me, might have had diarrhea, whatever the is, issue was. He came back, rescued him on fourth and five, touchdown to Marquise Brown. Baker Mayfield, full credit, comes right back down the field, scores, and then Lamar takes him back down the field one more time for the Justin Tucker field goal, two seconds to go, push. Oops, no no longer a push because we have the backward laterals, and Cleveland creates a safety, and thus the bad beat of all bad beats happens if you had the Browns plus three or if you had the Ravens minus three. It was a hell of a finish to you like I did. Cleveland and the Giants, interesting game. Not sure what the status of Daniel Jones is. He's going to be very questionable. Ankle injury, no Jason Garrett for the Giants, COVID. So Fat Freddy Kitchens will be calling plays for the G-Men. Yeah, that fat, that, that Freddy Kitchens, who was the head coach of Cleveland last year. So interesting dynamic there. You got Cleveland on the road. Mayfield, the running game. The defense is getting better. I like Cleveland in the game. Uh, with or without Daniel Jones, give me Cleveland. I think they're a legitimate playoff team, and they're going to be a factor in the playoffs. Philly goes to Arizona. Big win by Philly last week with Jalen Hurts at the helm against New Orleans. Going to Arizona, who beat the Giants on the road. A good win for them. I like the Eagles in a to keep it close. I can see Arizona winning the game, but I like the Eagles plus the points here. Jalen Hurts, because remember, if the Eagles were to win these, if the Eagles can win the next two games and get a little bit of help from somebody who were playing Washington, it's going to set up a Week 17 showdown potentially for the NFC East division title, Washington and Philly. So keep your eye on Philly if they can somehow win this game. They're going to be right there in the mix to win that division title still. But I like Arizona, I like I like Philly plus the six this week in the desert. Marquee matchup of the week. KC heading to New Orleans. No Drew Brees still for New Orleans. Taysom Hill. They did not play very well in Philadelphia last week. Uh, Kansas City comes to town after the nice win in Miami after turning the ball over four times. Not Patrick Mahomes' best, but he found a way to get it done. Uh in New Orleans, Romo, Nance, CBS, 425. Interesting game here. Can New Orleans run the ball? Can they eat some clock? Breeze isn't playing this week. Hill's going to play. Could you potentially see Jameis Winston in the in the mix here? If, if Hill struggles here, especially in the first half, could you see a Jameis Winston sighting? Potentially. The Saints are the two-seed in the NFC. They need to keep winning. They're one game behind Green Bay. They still need help from the Packers, but um, I do think the Chiefs will find a way. But I do think this will be a very entertaining game. I think you'll see a lot of Kamara. You'll see a controlled passing game. and, a, and a, I can see this game being an under. 52, I, I think this could be an under game. 
Um, I think New Orleans' defense is pretty good. I think this could be a lower-scoring game than the experts think. San Francisco-Dallas flexed out of Sunday night to a Sunday afternoon game. Two teams uh, rebuilding for next year. I really don't have an opinion on the game. You know, I would, you know, gun to my head, I probably would take 49ers in the three points. But again, Dallas with a nice win last week in Cincinnati. And again, Monday night, you have, um, and by the way, the the Giants and the Browns was the game that got flexed from the afternoon to Sunday night by NBC in replacing the 49er Cowboy game. So the nine, or so the Giants and the Browns will be Sunday night, NBC, Allen, Chris. So Monday night's a dud, Pittsburgh at Cincinnati. Again, the question with the Steelers is can they, can they in these last three weeks, can they develop any kind of running game? The running game has really been poor. Their Ben Roethlisberger looks like he's limit a little bit limited in what he can do with the down-the-field throws. They're throwing a lot of short balls. Great receiving court, but too, way too many drops by the Steelers. If you're the Steelers, you got to get your offensive efficiency back in order. Get a running game of some sort. You don't have to run the ball great to be in the playoffs, but you got to run the ball enough because you got a great defense. They're still playing at a big level, but you got to find a way to run the ball to some degree, okay? If you're the Pittsburgh Steelers. My couple of big bets uh, that I really like, the, team, the games I really like this week, Again, reviewing Notre Dame in the college. I like Notre Dame plus the 10. I like Oregon plus the 3 in the Pac-12 title game. In the pros, I would hit some teams I would tease for sure. The Packers, the Colts, the Titans potentially, the Buccaneers. Those are four teams that I would tease. I kind of like as an underdog, I kind of like the Eagles plus the 6. Um... I would even consider the Saints plus the three, buy them up to three and a half. And I also like the Dolphins minus the two and a half at home against the Patriots. So there you have it. Powers on Sports Podcast. We will have an episode next week prior to Christmas. But get out, get some shopping, try to stay local, support your local vendors and your retailers. They need it. Help them. Wear a mask. Have a great weekend. And we'll see you next time on the Powers on Sports Podcast.